Today begins a new sermon series. Would you open your Bibles to the second chapter, or rather the sixth chapter of 2 Samuel. Sixth chapter of 2 Samuel, beginning with verse 16, and then picking up at verse 20. And I'm going to try not to be long this morning. Lean over to the person beside and say, get it fast. As the Ark of the Covenant was entering the city of David, verse 16, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servant as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who's, who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I'll become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I'll be held in honor. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children till the day of her death. As you take your seat, touch somebody and tell them, this is over. I want to open this series this family month, talking about relationships. And I want to talk about it is or this is over. You know, church, I've lived long enough to know that excitement can be short-lived. At least it was for David in this text. The children of Israel had finally uni unified themselves around David's kingship. He had been declared the next king of Israel. Saul is dead and his house has been put to rest. And there, is, there are no other contenders for the throne. It is at this point that David decides to go into the hill country and to retrieve the Ark of the Covenant, to bring it back to the city of David, Zion, Jerusalem, the capital city of the nation and to let the ark of the presence of God rest in the capital city so that all who come to Jerusalem and who attend the tent of the meeting will find the presence of God in that place. They make their journey there, but they do not follow the requirements that God sets out. And so as they attempt to bring the ark of the covenant back to the city, something goes drastically wrong. They hit a pothole and the Ark of the Covenant slips off the new cart that it is being carried on. The law required that it be carried on the shoulders of men, but they had placed it on a new cart so that when it began to slip, Uzzah reached out to grab it and when he did, he was struck dead. David and his entourage realized that they would not succeed in bringing the ark back. And so they left it in the home of Obed of Edom. 
and they went back to Jerusalem defeated, crestfallen, feeling as if they had failed at something that was important to them. Once they arrived back in Jerusalem, time passed, word came to David that the house of Obed of Edom is being royally blessed. God's ark is being kept in that home, and God's blessing is on that home. Somebody missed that, but let me rewind the tape and say it again. The presence of God is being magnified in that house, and as a result of it, the blessings of God are falling on that house. Somebody still missed it. Look at somebody and ask them, do you want the blessings of God in your house? If the answer is yes, then make sure you have the presence of God in your house. If the presence of God is in your house, God, I could stay there and preach all day, Diane. If the presence of God is in the house, then the blessings of God will be upon the house. But David then realizes that the blessing that is falling on the home of Obed of Eden is really the blessing that God had for him. Help us, God. David says, assemble the entourage, get the priests, the Levites, everybody. We are going back to Edom, and I am going back to get the Ark of the Covenant. Why? God, nudge somebody beside you, say, don't miss this. Because what God has for me is for me. I don't want anybody else enjoying my blessing. I don't want anybody else rejoicing over my blessing. I want what God has for me. But in order to get what God has for me, for the blessing of God to be on my house, then the presence of God must be in my house. He assembles the entourage. They go back down to the home of Obed of Edom. And when they arrive there, this time they do what God says. They load the Ark of the Covenant up on the stakes, put it on the shoulders of individuals, and they start their way back to the city of Jerusalem. As they are coming back, as they are making their way back, they take eight steps. They start walking, and David realizes this time there have been no upheavals. This time, God does not show us a mark of his displeasure. This time, God is pleased with what we're doing. And whenever God shows you he is pleased with you, I don't care how you try to hold it, something will break out in a shout. When you feel God's, oh God, I wish I had somebody here. When you feel God's good pleasure, upon your life, it'll make your cup run over. If I have anyone in church today who is a living witness that you have had moments when you felt God was pleased with you, when you felt God honored your efforts, when you felt God had, your, had wind in your back, and before you know it, you got a case of the I can't help myself, you started smiling, waving your hand, doing a little dance. Do I have anybody here who can honestly admit every now and then you get your own holy dance? You get your own quickness. 
nudge somebody and tell them, I'm about to go off right now. When I think of how God blesses my life, I'm about to do a jig right in here right now. David takes eight steps, Doug. He just goes eight steps and realizes if it hadn't been for the Lord, God's been so good to me. My cup is running over. Look where he's brought me from. And before he knew it, he stopped, he shouted, he sacrificed, and he praised God some more. And the people started praising God with him. I don't care who you are and who you try to be. When God blesses you and takes away the sting of hurt, you will lose it every now and then. Why don't you lean over to the person beside and say, I know how to be cute, but I can lose it every now and then. Every, God, can I get a half a witness? In fact, why don't you just show the person what dignification looks like and then tell them, but I can lose it. I can scream, I can holler, I can run, kick my shoes, I can loosen my tie, I can take off my wig, I can go to town, I can have it. I, I remember one of my friends got to shouting and had tracks, and tracks were all over the church. She had a bun on her head, she shouted till she unwound the bun. Why? Because when you, God gets good to you, you forget about what you have on, who's looking at you, what you're wearing. David just loses it, Diane. He straight up loses it. In fact, the further they go, as they take every eight steps, they just start shouting all over again. I'm sure there were folk in the crowd saying, we'll never get to town. These people are shouting every two seconds. When is the service going in? How are we ever going to get there? But sometimes when God is blessing you, you lose track of time and you don't worry about how long anything is taking. And so they shout all the way from Edom, all the way back to the city of Jerusalem. Every eight steps, they just break out into a holy dance. The Bible records that as David comes into town excited, shouting, dancing, his wife, Michael, is looking out the window. She did not make the journey with them. She is looking out the window and she sees her husband, the king of Israel. He is not riding on the back of a horse. He is not leading the procession in in a kingly stature. But instead, David is coming into town doing a holy dance to tambourines and shouts. People are dance, shouting and screaming and David is just losing it, just dancing. And you know, when you really get into the spirit, you can lose your beat. Look at somebody and say, I shout on two and four. But if you're not careful, you'll wind up on one and three. Amen. Oh, you know the one and three people. David is just losing it. He can't get it together. He's just going to town, and the women are bouncing tambourines all around him. And David's just going, and they're just shaking. And, oh, it's, it's something looking out the window. Michael sees all of this. David's just dancing and the women are dancing with him. It's just a Holy Ghost time and Michael's getting angry. David sends everybody to their home and he's coming home. Got his steps still going. The band has stopped. But everybody, every hero carries their own theme music in their head. Look at somebody and say, I got my music playing now. 
He's just doing his number, coming with his stuff, Lauren. He's getting it together. And here come Michael out the front door. He's ready to grab a hugger and hold her. And mother comes out the door. And stops his shout right in its middle. Grabs him and comes up to him. Gets all up in his face and says, Ha! The king of Israel. Now get these words. Has distinguished himself today. Going around half naked. In full view of slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. She, oh, y'all quiet. Look at somebody say, I know that woman. Look at somebody say, I know that man too. She's all up in his grill, finger in his face. And notice her words, how you have distinguished yourself as if you're supposed to be in honor but look at what you've done going around half naked in full view of slave girls not just slave girls but the slave girls of your servants as any vulgar fellow David's shout is over he come out of the Holy Ghost quick Woman, what you say, that glow is red. That Holy Ghost is now Battlestar Galactica. He Rambo now. He was hallelujah. Now he, you cut me, I'm gone cut you back. Wait a minute, woman. It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anybody in your house when he appointed me, not you, ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I'll celebrate the Lord whenever I feel like it. And I'll become more undignified that you, you think I was half naked? I don't want to prove you a liar. Wait till I take the rest of it off. I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But guess what? In these slave girls' eyes, I'll be held in honor. And the text says, from that day, Michael had no more children. But see, there's something deeper here. See, not only does the shout end that day, but their relationship ended that day. Y'all missed it. The text starts out with this holy hallelujah, and it ends up with a broken relationship. I, I, I kept wondering why God let some of this stuff in the Bible. Did he put this in here to just give us a statistic 
to show us that saved families mess up. And see, this is bigger than just a couple breaking up. This is about relationships collapsing. And don't fool yourself. I know you're holy. Let me see the hands of everybody in church who know you saved. So the rest of y'all going to hell, huh? <laughs> Let me see the hands of everybody who know you saved. Raise them up high. See, now your hands go up. Uh-huh. See what it takes to just get people to follow directions? David, David and Michael really show us what happens to a relationship because relationships tear themselves apart. In America, for example, 40% of, of marriages dissolve. 40% of marriages dissolve. And second marriages dissolve at even higher rates. Look at somebody and say, ouch. But that's not all. Friendships break up. Let me see the hands of folk who've lost friends. Co-worker relationships split apart. Brothers and sisters stop speaking. Parents and children tear apart. All of us have seen relationships tear apart. If I've got anybody in church today who can honestly admit that you've seen, felt, and even lived through relationships tearing apart, wave at me. Wave at me. That's what this text is all about. We see it as Michael and David, but it's about something deeper and bigger. It's about what tears relationships apart. And here it is, family month, and we're living through some realities in our own community, and God told me it's time to start helping us understand what tears families, what tears friendships, and what even tears church folk apart. Oh, don't sit in here and act like church people love everybody. So I remember I was telling the church earlier this morning, I was, saying, I was preaching, I was an associate minister out of a church, and one of the choir members didn't like another choir member i never forget this. Pastor was up leading the worship service. We were at another church, and he was leading the service. And one choir member at one end of the row got happy. At least she was acting like she was happy. And I knew the person she didn't like was on the other end of the row, and she got happy and all of a sudden threw the hymn book down at the other end of the row. And then in the midst of her happy, she looked down to see if she hit her. I said, oh, I thought of Chris Rock. That ain't right. She's trying to bust upside the head with the hymn book. She church member on the choir. Don't fool yourself. All church people ain't good. As one of my friends says, some of them ain't worth two dead flies. But what is it that tears relationships apart? And the reality of this question comes from the fact that God made us relational individuals. God made us to relate to people. God made us to be able to come together. God made us to build communities. God, I feel like preaching this this morning. God made us to build communities, and communities start by building relationships. And relationships start with what my professor used to say, with quality conversations. What is it that tore Michael and David apart that can teach us so we can hold some things together? I need you to look at somebody and say, we got to hold this thing together. 
I started wondering, Trisha, what was it that happened? But it's all right here in the text. Look at somebody say, we're going deep for a minute. I got to go somewhere between teaching and preaching in this sermon because I really want you to leave out here with some actions you can do to make relationships better because God has not called us to lose every relationship that we have. Can I get a witness up in here? I started wondering, what was it that went wrong? And then I started looking at the text. Let me retrace the steps of this text so you get it. I started by sharing with you the context for the problem that David and Michael have. When I shared with you the events that took place that David went down to get the ark, he brings the ark back. Michael comes out and fusses. But what I didn't share with you is the emotions that undergird this. David is going down there to get the ark, but I didn't share with you the relationship between David and Michael. Michael is the daughter of King Saul. She has grown up in Saul's house. She has grown up around the king and his privilege. David is the shepherd boy from Bethlehem. He is the little guy who killed Goliath and then Saul brought him into his house. When he came into the house, David was a cool dude. He rose in the military, rose up high in in fact, people respected him and loved him. He was the cat's meow. People, as he and Saul rode in the chariot, folk would say, Saul has slain his thousand. And then women on the other side would say, but David has slain his 10,000. And what Michael loved was the fact, this is her man. He is her man. Everybody is admiring him. And she admired this man who had come from the hood, who was rough around the edges who had come from the Bethlehem's hills but now was rising up high in the ranks. She knew that if he married her, he would be able to rise up and she would rise up and they would be a power team, a power couple. She didn't mind him loving God. She didn't mind him serving God but she really thought in her own spirit that he would be more concerned about his role as a leader than he would his relationship to God. And herein lay the problem. Nudge somebody and say, get this. The reason their relationship fell apart and the reason why relationships that we have fall apart is because people are not prepared for other folk to change. Uh-oh, getting quiet now. Getting quite nuts, somebody say you got to accept people change. Oh, yes, they do. She thought, she thought that if he gets this job, he's going to become the king. He is now the leader of the land. He's going to be infatuated with power. He's going to love going out with the hoi polloi. He's going to love being able to travel in these major circles. He's going to love doing this and doing that. But what she was not prepared for was the change that was going to take place in his life. Notice I did not just say growth because all change is not good. Some people don't change for the better. Oh God, I'm preaching to a tough crowd in here today. Not everybody grows for the better. 
Can I get a witness? Some folk grow more mature. Some folk grow more immature. Some folk grow loving. Some folk grow more unloving. Some folk grow more to trust God. Some folk more far away from God. Some folk grow more faithful. Some folk grow, grow more faithless. And so it's not about, about whether they're going to change for the better because some folk do not change for the better. They change for the worse. But you must be prepared for people to change who are in your space. Nudge the person beside say, people will change. Oh, yes, they will. And guess what, church? Look at somebody say, get this. The seeds for that are seen before the harvest. Whenever somebody changes, you saw it before it happened. Now, whether you want to admit it or accept, oh, it's quiet today. Whether you want to accept it or admit it, you see the signs before it comes to pay. How many of you know you have some friends who have some behaviors that you can't stand and you didn't just see it yesterday, you've seen it for years in their person. Now, come on, tell the truth up in here. The problem with David and Michael is Michael was not ready for David to change and she saw the seeds before she got hooked up with him. Yes, David was from the hood. David probably had some bad behaviors. David had some loose ends that needed to work on. But David also loved God. David is the one who would play for her father when he would near go crazy and sing songs to him and help him get his sanity back. But she had no idea that God would become as real in his life as God became. But I stopped in here to tell you when God is in your life, when God is in your house, he will be in your life. When God's presence is in your house, his blessing will be on your life. David rose in position. Why? Not because he was so smart. In fact, why don't you touch somebody and say, I didn't put myself where I am. God put you where you are. God opened the doors for you to get that job. God opened the door for you to make that money. God elevated you. God had people jump over top of hoops to get you in where you are. Somebody better hear me up in here. Thank God for your degree. Shout about your education. But know that the only reason you get to use it is because God put you in the place where you use it. And you have to give him the credit for being able to use it. David loved his position, but the only reason he had the position is because God put him there, and the only reason he could keep the position was because God was developing his skills. God was the one who woke him up in the morning. God was the one who gave him the strategies. God was the one who made his enemies his footstool. God was the one who made devils back up in his life. God was the one that kept a roof over his head. God was the one that kept health and strength in his body. And when I think of the goodness of God, sometimes I got to shout it out. She was not prepared for a man to love God like this. Somebody ought to shout that you could care less if somebody doesn't like the way you praise God. You're going to praise him because if it had not been for the Lord in your life, you would not be at the junctures you are. But what tears relationships apart is that folk can't accept 
the change. They can't accept the fact that you changed. You're not going to let them treat you like dirt. You're not going to let them walk on you. Look at somebody and say, I know that's the truth. Why? Because I've changed. God has taken a deeper hold on my life. That's the first thing. I got to move quick because my time is fast. David and Michael and relationships break up. Because folk aren't ready for folk to change. They can't accept the fact folk change. But when people change, my Angelou says, don't wonder if it's real, just believe what they tell you. There's a second reason here, there's a second reason. Here. And, and this is what blew my mind. This is what blew my mind. David goes down to get the ark. He and his entourage, the priests and the Levites and the crowd, the dancers, everybody. But Michael doesn't go with him. Look at somebody and say, oh. His wife does not go with him to get the ark. I, 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 I don't know why. The Bible doesn't, it just says she didn't go. Look at somebody and say, she didn't go. Now, now this you got to understand. We, we, we have no clue why she didn't go. But we are made aware of certain dynamics in their relationship. David really didn't want to marry her first. I said, oh. He wanted to marry her sister. Messy boots. I'm trying to help y'all read the Bible. She liked him because he was this uprising superstar, clean as the border health, little rough edges, you know, little, little strange, but everybody loved him, and he just had it. He had that swag. <laughs> Can I see the hands of the women who want a man with swag? This is a lying house. I want to see the hands of every woman who want a man with swag. Now, if you don't know what swag is, that's all right. But every woman who want a man with some swag, raise your hand. Or you want a man like this. I go out all beauties and dig y'all up some boxes. She want a man. He want her sister. Saul marries the sister off. Tells David he can marry Michael, but he's got to go to the Philistines, kill 200 of them, and bring back their foreskin. Now, we ain't going into all that. But he's got to, and his real idea is he's going to get killed in the process. Because David has, Saul has slain his thousands. David has slain his ten thousands. And the Bible says, from that day on, Saul eyed David and sought to kill him. Saul hated him. 
So he says, I'll let you marry my daughter if you kill 200 Philistines and bring back their foreskin, thinking he's going to get killed. Michael wants him, not so much because she loved him, but he got swag. And some of y'all know you got stuck with swag. <laughs> hey, we ain't going there. That's another sermon. And you found out that swag was broken. Yeah, yeah. Look at somebody say, they fooled me, they fooled me. But I ain't going there. That's another sermon. That's another day. That's another day. She marries David. Saul tries to kill David. She helps David escape. And when David escapes, she lies to her father so he can get away. And what he does is takes her and marries her off to another man. While she's still married to David, he gives her to a, another man. Now, David gets her back. But don't think they ain't got issues. Everybody ought to want to marry y'all because y'all don't see it. Do you think David didn't look at her funny? You think she didn't wonder what's going on in his mind? He took her from another man. His wife been married now to this other dude. They got issues. Their life, their relationship is complicated. And quiet as it's kept, every relationship is complicated. God, I wish I had people in here who could admit the truth today. Look at somebody and tell them that's the truth. All relationships are complicated. If you think yours is the only one complicated, you better wake up and smell the coffee. Every relationship you have from your mother down to your infant child and grandchild is complicated. And you've got to deal with, work through, and wrestle with the complications. Ain't no free lunch in relationships. She doesn't go with him down. When she comes, he comes back, he's outside dancing, doing the jig. And the women around are getting excited, dancing with him. And she's looking out the window, and she's getting anguish. The Bible says she despised him in her heart. Notice where her anger is. Where? Y'all saying it kind of muffled. She despised him in her heart, the seat of her emotions. Y'all still ain't got it. What's happening to her? She's looking out the window. And the women are excited by her man. And in her eyes, she feels humiliated. She's being humiliated by her husband because they are getting more attention. God is getting quiet now. Then she is. They are getting all the attention and she is getting less of it. And what happens when David sends everybody home? He comes to the house. He got his own theme music pan in his head. 
Because when you're a hero, you don't need music. Look at somebody and say, I got my own stuff. He just come into the house, oh, and here she come out the door. Arm for bear. How dare you? Out there distinguishing yourself. Out there half clad. You the king of Israel. You're supposed to be sitting on a horse riding with dignity. And here you are out there dancing half clad in front of slave women. In fact, slave women of servants. And here you are. Now, I know where you came from. You ain't nobody but David from Bethlehem. Now, you may have an S curl and some Beijing in your hair. And you may be riding in a BMW and have a ring on your finger and be looking Gucci down, but you ain't nobody but David from Bethlehem, one of the, and here you are acting like where you came from. Oh God, I wish I had a witness. And if there's one thing that'll vex people is trying to remind them of who they used to be when they have worked so hard at being somebody better. God, y'all ain't got that. But here is the rub. Here's what breaks the relationship up. The real issue is not how David is acting. The real issue is how she is feeling. And the, what tears the relationship up is the fact that Michael can't be honest with him. It is not about his actions. It's about her feelings. She feels humiliated. It has nothing to do with what he's doing. It has to do with how she's feeling. And what tears relationships up more than anything else is a lack of honesty about what the problem really is. The problem is not somebody else. The problem is your problem problem and you need to state it in your language. Let me see if I can help you understand where I'm coming from. Some years ago, I may have told you this example, but it'll fit in this situation. Some years ago when our church was downtown at 100 West Franklin, my wife and I were standing in the aisle talking at the end of a service. Service was over. We were standing there talking, talk, carrying on conversation about something, and a woman walked up and she said, uh, Pastor Thomas, can I ask you a question about such and such? You notice how it starts, but can I ask you a question? But the question mark was not followed by three dots. It was followed by the question. Uh, can I ask you a question? I'd like to know about such and such and such and such and such and such. And so I turned to answer a question. Tipper, I stood there answering what she was telling me and what she was, and I gave her the answer. And then I turned back around to my wife and I said, and I opened my mouth and she said, please do me a favor. I said, what's that? She said, don't ever do that again. I stood there and went, what is she talking about now? I need some men to say, yeah. yeah. What is she talking about now? Don't do that again. What in the world did I do? All I did was answer some woman's question. Please don't do that again. That woman didn't do that because she wanted a question answered. She did that because she was sending me a signal that she can command your attention anytime she wants. Do I have any women? Are there any women who agree with my wife? I'm gonna hide behind. 
stood there and I went, what? I, I, I didn't say it, because you know, I, I said, we're gonna have this argument. I said, I said huh? Yeah, she said, she was sending me a signal that um, she can cut in anytime she want. I said, thought to myself, huh? She ugly. Ugly as homemade sin. I don't want no parts of this. Jesus, keep me near the cross. Every time you turn around, always got to be somebody looking at you, wanting you, this, that. But I just stood there, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. Yeah, uh huh, uh huh. I'm thinking to myself, this is crazy. But my wife didn't come at me. Why you say that to her? Why you answer her? You saw me talking to you. There you go, letting them old heifers always get up in your face. Ah, da, 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 da. But she came at me with her feelings. I feel she's sending me a message that I can get your attention anytime I want. Uh, Darius, I just sat there and said, oh, uh -huh. Uh -huh. about a month or so later, we were in the stairway at the old building and we were talking and the same lady, look at somebody say, same woman, same one just came huffing up. Pastor Thomas, I said, oh, excuse me a second. I said, as soon as I finish talking to my wife, I'll be right with you. And wait a minute. And so I turned back around to my wife and I said, Trisha, just keep talking. I don't know what we're going to talk about, but just act like we're talking about something. I said, just laugh. Come on, just laugh. Just keep on going. We just keep on going. And so then I said, I said, okay, now I'm going to turn around. I turned around, the woman was gone. See, the problem is we have not taught people how to have a positive conversation about their frustration. And so what happens is, instead of being able to be honest about how something affects them, they try to divert it and put it on somebody else as if it's your behavior that's the problem. My behavior ain't the problem. Your feelings are the problem. Now let's talk about your feelings and get away from my behavior. Can I get a witness up in here? But until you learn how to have positive conversations about your frustration, you will tear your relationships apart. You will rip them like threads. Don't sit there and get mad with somebody and roll your eyes at them and talk, I can't deal with you. They are not the problem. You are the problem. Let me give this last example. Then I got to end because we got to get out of here. Last example so you see where I'm coming from. Sometimes when I would do sit with couples who were having a problem. And like I tell you, I don't do marriage counseling. That's not my forte. I'm not a marriage counselor. I'm a spiritual director. But one of the things that gets me when I sit with couples and they come in, and man will say something like this, she don't cook. She don't cook. She don't cook. And I said, oh, she don't cook. And, and he, he said, she don't cook nothing. And then she'll say, he don't even take out the trash. He don't even wash, get my car washed. He ain't never got my car washed. And I sit there and listen. Then I'll ask him one question. I said, why does this get to you? Why does it get to you that she doesn't cook? She make cane. You want to eat bad food? And I'll say it just like that. I said, she can't cook. Why you want her to cook? 
You can go to the restaurant and get good food. You can eat Cheerios. You can eat peanut butter and jelly. Why you want this woman who can't cook murdering food you're paying for? Why you want her to burn a steak? Steak costs $7. You know, you're going to eat it tough? Why, why you get upset? Why you want this man to wash your car? He don't wash his. He don't even know what soap and water is on a car. Can you imagine this brother putting wax on your car and forgot to take it off? I said, why does it bother you? I said, because I got other couples whose wives don't cook. And it don't bother them a bit. I got other couples whose husbands don't do some of these things, and it doesn't bother them a bit. Why does it bother you? And then it comes out. Then it comes out. Because I expected them to do it. So the problem ain't them. Problem is your. Look at somebody and say, ouch. I ain't expect them to act like this. But this is Thomas Axiom 67. Don't play it tomorrow, the number's not coming out. But this is Thomas Axiom 67. When you change your expectations of people, their behavior doesn't bother you. When you change your expectations of people, their behavior doesn't bother you. When you realize that they may not be that person who can do that, they may not be the person who can live that through. She thought David ought to be showing her something. It was her problem, and she could not deal with it. She could not deal with the fact that other folk were getting something she felt she wasn't. Didn't mean David was giving it. It was that she felt she wasn't getting it. Oh, y'all still miss it. It didn't mean David was doing it. It was how she felt about it and God sent me in to tell you if you want to preserve relationships you have to be honest about how something makes you feel you have to speak not about what somebody else is but how it makes you feel can I get a witness in here God I don't want to go too far overboard but if I have anybody who knows where I'm coming from that you got to talk about your feelings and your emotions and how something hit you and how something makes you feel can I get a witness in here. Let me, let me say this because I still think you lost it. Can I see the hands of anybody in here who's a manager, supervisor, foreman, or over anybody, even your children? All right, that's just about every hand. Let me, let me give you this. Write this down. I-D-E-A. Idea. I-D-E-A. Write it down. Don't look at me. Write. I-D-E-A. E-A, idea. And these are the four things you do when you're being honest about how something hits you if you want to save a relationship. First thing, identify what the problem is. Can I, all managers, raise your hand again. Here's the issue. Employee comes to every meeting late. They come marching in and if they're a church meeting. Finger up. Meeting's supposed to start at 12, they get there five after. 10F. How many of y'all got people on your job who invariably come in looking where I'm going to sit? Idea. Identify the problem with them. My meeting is held every day at 12 o'clock and you come in 5. Identify the problem. Yesterday we had meeting. We had a meeting. Yesterday we had a meeting. Staff meeting. And you got here late. Identify. Describe the situation. The meeting had started 
we were moving on to talk about such and such. When you came in, when you came in, you came in five minutes after we were 10 minutes in, we had already covered this, covered this, covered this. ID. E, explain. Now, the explanation is not about them. Every time we turn around, you coming in here late. Every time I turn around, you always got to be pushing over top of people. Why is it you can't get to work on time? Why is it you always got to be coming in here late? Why is it you got to be disrupting my meeting? That ain't the issue. That is not the issue. Here's the issue. I have a set amount of time to get a certain amount of information across. My bosses are requiring me to cover this material in a certain amount of time, and everybody has to be held accountable for what they've covered, and I have to be held accountable for having covered all of this with you all. By your coming in the meeting late, I have to turn into my boss that I have not covered the material with everybody who's supposed to be covered. And so therefore, it makes me look bad to my boss when I have to tell the boss that five of my people have not been trained on this because they were not in the meeting. And my boss wants to know how come I don't have this stuff done. It ain't about them. Who's it about? You. I wind up having to look bad in front of my boss. Now, I ain't said nothing about who killed the cat while the dog was shot why the car broke down, how come the homework wasn't there, how come you got here late, ain't saying nothing about that. It's only about how I am made to feel. The people on the job are now looking at me as if I don't have authority over what I'm doing, that I can't command respect. The other coworkers are now taking license and acting like I'm not in charge. I got new issues I got to deal with. Now I've got new problem people that weren't problem people before. I ain't even talking about you. Now last thing is this how we gonna solve it. This is how we're going to solve it, so that I don't look bad. From now on, every time the meeting starts, everybody has to be here on time. And anybody who's not here will not be allowed in the meeting. Now, did I say anything about what they did wrong? Did I try to make them feel bad? I told them how bad I was feeling. And as a result of that, I'm not going to feel bad anymore. Now you can leave and I can feel good. She comes at him as if he is the problem. He is not the problem. Her feelings are the problem. And I need you to look at three people on that row and say, get out your feelings. And start expressing your feelings. Y'all ain't get it, y'all ain't get it. Get out of your feelings and start expressing your feelings. Talk about how something is dealing with you. And the last thing, then I'm done, I'm thinking, I'm taking my seat on this. The last problem that they run into, the reason their relationship split apart is they forgot the real lesson of life. You are never in charge of the consequences. All you are is in charge of your own actions. She fired off at him, he fired back at her, and both of them probably thought it could blow over. But some things don't blow over. Our actions belong to us, but our consequences belong to the universe. And as a 
result, they split apart. God sent me in here to tell you that he doesn't mean for you to get in relationship with people and then I'll, you be the one who tears it apart. Grab the person beside you and say, work to keep it together. Work to keep it together. And I've got news for you. God says, you do your part and leave the rest to him. It may not happen overnight, but God will find a way to restore what other people break up if you let him put his hand back on it. Why? How do I know he will? Because God should have kicked a whole lot of us to the curb. Do I have anybody in here who knows you violated the relationship you had with God, but God loved you anyhow? God did not get into your confusion. God did not play into your craziness, but instead he sent his only begotten son to die for you and to die for me. And when we should have been kicked out, God brought us back in, loved us with an everlasting love. Look at somebody and tell them, he loved me. God, y'all didn't say it like you mean it. He should have kicked us to the curb, but he loved us. Why? Because God says it's not about how crazy you are. It's about Christ being in your life. And if God be for you, he can be more than the world against you. Don't let the world tear up your relationships. Don't let crazy tear up your friendships, but keep your hand in God's hand. And they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. You will mount up with wings like an eagle. You will run and not be weary. I need you to grab somebody on your row and tell them stay close to your friends. Grab somebody else. Tell them stay close to your family. Grab somebody else. Say stay close to your loved ones because if God puts you together they have a role to play in your life and if they play that role and you stay together it doth not yet appear what you shall become. But if God be for you, he is more than the world against you. Stay together. I'm done. I'm done. What happened to them? They weren't prepared for change. What happened to them? They didn't know how to communicate frustration. What happened to them? They didn't understand consequences belong to the universe. I want everybody to stand right now. And I want you to think about relationships God has given you. I need you to turn to somebody and say, if it falls apart, won't be because of me. Y'all ain't get that. I can't control what another does. I can only control what I do. I know I got some witnesses in here. Sometimes you have to wait for people to come back. But you got to be ready when they get there. You got to be able to move past. Them two people had no idea that day out on the front porch having that argument that would end their relationship.
had no idea. I, I know of a couple. Woman got mad with her husband. She called me and told me he beat her. I said, well, go to the doctor. Go to the hospital. I said, immediately, go to the hospital. She said, no, I'm going to the police and get a warrant pulled out. I said, well, do that. But go to the hospital. The man didn't beat you. He done whooped on you. Go to the hospital. She ain't go to the hospital. She ain't go to the hospital. I saw the next, about two days. She ain't look beat to me. That's why she ain't go to the hospital. But she went and got a peace warrant, we used to call him. Straining order against him. He's sitting in the house eating dinner with the family. About three days later, this was some many, many years ago, police rang his doorbell. He's sitting at the dinner table, wife can cook dinner. They're all sitting there eating. Police come in the front door. Mr. So-and-so, you got to go. Go where? You got to get out. Get out why? Your wife done taken out an order against you. She just cooked him dinner and she ain't even poisoned. <laughs> I thought, you know, when I heard the story, I thought there was some rat poison in there, you know. Some borax or something. Some bleach. Some milk of magnesia. She ain't doing none of that. She's huffed up and said, yeah. So he got up. He left. They went to court 10 days later. Judge said, Mr. So-and-so, show me reason why I should let you go back home. And he stood up. He said, Your Honor, there is no reason why you should let me go back home. Wife said, no, tell him. Tell him why you should be able to go home. He said, no, ain't no reason I should go home. I should go back home. She said, no, go here. Tell him you sorry. He said, no, Your Honor. I don't want to go back home. Just give me a date when I can get all my things out. She said, no, no, you spoke, tell him such and such. Now, granted, there are legitimate stories on the other side of this. But the point I'm trying to make is, she had no idea it would end like that. He left her and never came back. She never recovered. She had no idea that that one act would go that far. She didn't know that she had set a fuse that blew up. We never know what the consequences of our actions are going to be. That's why you got to be honest in step two. You got to be open and honest. This is how this made me feel. I felt, if she had stood in front of David and said, David, I felt so humiliated because these women were have been taunting me and acting like this, like you were theirs and not mine. I think David would have handled that moment altogether different. I think if David had said to her, honey, what's really eating at you? It 
can't be that I'm out here doing a holy dance. You remember when I smoked weed. And now I'm going to Bible study. Now I'm on the praise team. Now I'm wearing a collar. Now I'm a deacon. I'm an usher. I'm in the I'm an authentic man of God, and you getting upset because I'm dancing, and, and you remember when I would get high on drugs, high on liquor. You remember when I was a midnight rambler? It This can't be the issue. Come on. What's the real issue? 